Well, it is uh, a Mother's Day, just a happy Mother's Day to all of you who are mothers. For those of you who are experiencing some pain today, my compassion is, is for you. But I wanted to think a little bit about, about mothers today. just want to think about uh, you mothers who have your uh, children off in college and I know, Gage, you are back, and I think about you, Maggie, and your son has gone off to college and has gone back. And uh, Gage, just stand up. You've given a, a brief, why don't you just give a brief report. You're back from Alabama and freshman year. And uh, <laughs> Yes, I'm Gage Levy. Uh, I recently returned from my freshman year at the University of Alabama, Tuscaloosa. Uh, I had a bit of uh, an adjustment going back to actual school in the post-COVID world. Be Great. And it's nice for mom to have son back at home, yes? And uh, the hooks, Colin is uh, coming home next week, maybe? No, two two weeks. Okay, soon. But he's uh, finishing up his freshman year at MSOE, and uh, then he'll be home for the summer, I think. Yes? And Gage, you're going to be home this summer? Yep. And uh, then he'll go off to college in the fall. And Stephanie graduates next weekend from uh, Jacksonville Bible College, a one-year Bible institute, and she will then be home all summer long, which I know, Yvonne, you're looking forward to. And uh, just even with all of our kids, just when Stephanie went out, um, I think we felt the lack of our home more than anything else. She was like the vivacious glue that kind of held many things together, so we, we missed that. And um, uh, Grace, you are here today. You're graduating, yes, no? How far are you from graduating? Okay. Okay. This summer, are you here at all? Are you going? Okay, great. And I know Rachel's coming home for just like a week or two, and then she's going off to Arizona. Chuck, right? Go, to do her uh, student teaching requirements, right? That's right. Still, still teaching in Tucson, Arizona uh, this fall. Okay. This summer, she's going to go down there and go with us. Great. Great. And I know Nathan Reed is graduating today, but he's not at the graduation ceremony. Instead, he's in Alaska enjoying the views rather than being, whatever, in a place with cap and gown. He's, he's out in the wilderness. And uh, he's just got a few weeks and he's going back to Columbus pursuing his PhD, chemical electrical engineering, right? Computer and electric, computer and electrical engineering. Um, and also Conrad Milton is another one. The, the Miltons aren't here today, but he as well. He's, I think he's going to be home this, you know what? He doesn't know. He's going to be home this summer, maybe not this summer, depending upon job situation. Then he's off to University of Illinois in, in, in the fall. And I know all of the mothers have their children gone off, and then they're coming home, and then they're going out. I mean, it is a process with all of our kids. They kind of they come home for a little bit, and then they go out, then they come home, then they go out until eventually, you know, those who are married are like out all the time. Um, it's sort of a, a transition um, 
for, for many, many students who, who are doing that. And, and I just thought even today about how that's the experience of the Apostle Paul that we're going to really see in our text. Now, he wasn't a college student right, coming home and going out. Um, he hadn't been to college, but he'd been on a missionary journey. And today we're going to see him finishing his journey. He's going to come home, and even we're going to see him turn around within a verse and go out on his missionary journey. My title of my message this morning is Coming Home and Heading Out. That just summarizes what what Paul is doing on his journey. Now, to remind you, like one last time, of what Paul has been doing in his journeys. We've been in the book of Acts for a long time. We've been looking at his second missionary journey now for a couple months. And uh, you remember it all began in Antioch of Syria. And uh, he and Silas took up north out of Antioch into the regions of uh, southern Galatia visiting the cities there of Derby, Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch as he's just spreading the gospel and planting churches there. If you remember then, he, he went west and tried to go south into Asia, but was prohibited, forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And so then they, they tried to go north into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them to go there, so they just continued on west to Troas, and as they were there, right on the shore of the Aegean Sea, they're trying to figure out what it is they would do next. And Paul in the night had a vision of a man in Macedonia who said, come over and help us. Come to Macedonia and help us. And Macedonia is that that region there that I have highlighted and circled. And so uh, they crossed the Aegean Sea into Macedonia and ministered to cities there like Philippi and Thessalonica and Berea. Um, Then after that, they went south. Paul did, particularly alone at first. He went to Achaia where he preached in Athens to the intellectuals, and, and, and then he preached there in Corinth. And typically in these places, he wasn't staying a long time because he'd be preaching to the synagogues, and they'd kick him out, and then pretty soon the city would kick him out. Um, but in Corinth, things were a little bit different because he received a promise from the Lord. Acts 18, verse 9, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent. For I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. And and so Paul, with the promise of God to be faithful to protect him, stayed there for another 18 months as he continued to teach the people in the the budding church there in Corinth. And he saw people coming to Christ. Um, The ruler of the synagogue came to Jesus. Neighbors came to Jesus as well. But eventually it was time for Paul to leave And that's where we pick up our text. So if you haven't done so already, Acts chapter 18, we're just going to read uh, just six verses this morning. Acts 18, verse 18 through 23. And we read this, After this, Paul stayed many days longer and then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria and with him Priscilla and Aquila. At Sancria he had his hair cut for he was under a vow. And they came to Ephesus, and he left them there, but he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay for a longer period, he declined. But on taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you if God wills. And he set sail from Ephesus. And we landed at Caesarea. He went up and greeted the church and then went down to Antioch. And after spending some time there, he departed and went from one place to the next throughout the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening the disciples. Now, with these words, we see Paul finishing, ending his second missionary journey, right? Coming home to his home church in, uh, in Antioch and then going out 
on his third missionary journey. On the map, this is where he went in our text. First of all, he traveled across the Aegean Sea into Ephesus, where he stayed for only a bit of a time, and then he traveled from there down to Caesarea, uh, which is right there on the coast, and then he went up to Jerusalem, and then he went back down to Antioch, which he started his journey. Now, what, what's amazing about this is that Paul had been gone right, for a long time. And it took two and a half chapters to describe all that was happening on his way out from his journey. And yet here, traveling a thousand miles back home, we have only five verses to bring him back home. It's not that nothing happened there, but Luke's intent was just to bring him back home. Uh, and, and then only one verse later, it's astonishing, right? The, the end of the second missionary journey finishes at the end of verse 22. And, and then verse 23 begins his third missionary journey simply after this after spending some time there so he like regrouped like these college students who come home sort of regroup figure out what's going on and then he uh, he left and he went for these regions of galatia and phrygia on his third missionary journey which we'll pick up next week indeed we see paul coming home and uh, heading out and and what's most curious also about his heading home is what the author luke describes to include in his coming home of the city of a journey like he could have included nothing he could just said yeah we went to Ephesus and then Caesarea and then Jerusalem and then to Antioch he could have just said that but there's some things that he included on this thousand mile journey home this journey which would have taken weeks maybe even months but I'm guessing weeks that that, that he went to Ephesus and and didn't stay there first of all though I'm sorry verse 18 he went to the barber, is what verse 18 says. So of all the things, it says he went to the barber in Sancria. And then it says, then he went to Ephesus, but he didn't stay there long. And then he came home. That's about all that he brought. And so this morning, I've worked pretty hard to pull out three applications from this thousand-mile journey, which we know only glimpses of what took place. But here's the first application I have for us. First of all, is to thank God. And I get this from his haircut that Paul had at Sancria. Verse 18, we read why Paul had his haircut. If you look there, it says 18. After this, Paul stayed many days longer. Uh, that was in Corinth. And then he took his leave of the brothers, and he set sail for Syria. And with him, Priscilla and Aquila, this precious couple, which we'll read about next week. We'll find them talking with uh, Apollos next week in, in Acts 18. But here it is. It, at Sancria, he had cut his hair, for he was under a vow. He cut his hair because he was under a vow. Now, now, just this phrase, this verse, brings lots of difficulties in what exactly is happening. First of all, who cut his hair? Or who had his hair cut? And um, Because it could be Paul or it could be Aquila. I'm not sure if you noticed it there. It just says there at Sancria, he had, he, he had cut his hair. Um, it could have been Apollos, but both are possible, but probably, since Paul's the subject of verse 18, it was, it was probably Paul. Uh, but secondly, like, what sort of vow is this? He had his hair cut because he had a vow. He was under a vow. Now, almost every commentator that I read simply said, oh, Paul's talking about the vow of the Nazarite, which comes and describes in Numbers chapter 6. They say this, I think, because it's the only time in the Old Testament that there is any sort of connection between making a vow and cutting hair. 
And you can read about it in Numbers chapter 6. In fact, I just want to read for you a little bit of, of what Numbers 6 says. It says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying this, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When either a man or a woman makes a special vow, the vow of a Nazarite to separate himself to the Lord. He shall separate himself from wine and strong drink. He shall drink no vinegar made from wine or strong drink. Shall not drink any juice of grapes or eat grapes fresh or dried. All the days of his separation, he shall eat nothing that is produced by the grapevine, not even the seeds or the skins. All the days of his vow of separation, no razor shall touch his head until the time is completed for which he separates himself to the Lord. He shall be holy. He shall let the locks of hair of his head grow long. All the days that he separates himself to the Lord, he shall not go near a dead body, not even for his father or for his mother, or for brother or for sister. If they die, he shall make himself unclean because his separation to God is, is on his head. All the days of his separation, he's holy to the Lord. Now, the idea here is a Nazarite is to make a vow, a vow before the Lord to, to separate yourself, to dedicate yourself for the Lord. And, and during that time, you can't drink any wine, or really any juice or grape juice. You can't even have a grape. You can't even have any of the skin of the grape. And, and you can't go near a dead body, right? So, right, uh, no drinking wine, no cutting your hair. And no going near a dead body. These are the three requirements. And the completion of the vow, it continues on number six. One makes a vow, would I bring a sacrifice to the Lord? Number 614. One ewe lamb, a year old, without blemish, as a sin offering, and one ram without blemish, as a peace offering, and a grain offering, and a drink offering. And so after the sin offering was made, the Nazarite then says, Number 618, shall shave his consecrated head at the entrance of the tent of meeting and shall put it in the fire that is under the sacrifice of the peace offering. And only after offering up the sacrifice may the Nazarite drink his wine. So people just say, oh, that's a Nazaritic vow. But I hope you see that there's some difficulties there that, that first, Paul couldn't have kept all these conditions. Um, not cutting his hair, he was okay. He could have done that. Avoiding dead bodies, I assume he could have done that. But I don't think he could have avoided wine or, or grape juice or, or grape because he was in Corinth for 18 months. And I don't think he went 18 months without celebrating the Lord's Supper. And the fruit of the vine is crucial in celebrating the Lord's Supper. It's inconceivable that he just didn't celebrate the Lord's Supper. I mean, he even speaks about the Lord's Supper in 1 Corinthians 11. And further, when it came to complete the vow... Um, I don't think Paul would have brought a sin offering to be sacrificed in Jerusalem. Because that was done at the cross of Christ, and to bring a sin offering would defile the cross of Jesus. To, to say, yes, I'm going to offer that sin offering. M- maybe a peace offering, right? But definitely not a sin offering. He also cut his hair in Sancria and not in Jerusalem. So here, here's my take. I don't think Paul took a Nazarite vow in the technical sense. However, I wouldn't doubt that Paul, right, knowing his freedom of the Old Testament law, simply took this portion of the Nazarite vow and in the spirit of it, cut his hair, consecrated himself to the Lord, sort of as a, a promise to God in some regards. Like, I, I'm, I'm not going to cut my hair as long as I am here in Corinth, God, because you have promised to protect me. I'm set, set apart, dedicated to you. I have no doubt that maybe he, he did that. In our culture today, sometimes there are people who do something similar. I want to tell you the story of Gary Weddle. He's a, a middle school teacher in, um, in Ephrata, Washington. And uh, in, in 2001, he was so distraught 
by the attacks on the World Trade Center of 9-11 and the Pentagon that he stopped shaving because of that. And he made a vow. He says, I will not shave until terrorist leader Osama bin Laden was captured or killed. Now, think about, do you know how long it was until Osama bin Laden was killed? Do you know when he was killed? It was, it was 10 years. It was, it was on uh, May 2nd, 2011. And, and so Weddle, uh, he, he said that he thought, he thought, he said maybe it'd be six months till they catch the guy and kill him. But six months turns into a year and turned into two years and turned into five years. So this was his new look when he promised not to shave. He said this, I thought I might be buried with the beard. That Osama bin Laden may have eluded us indefinitely. But finally, right, in the, the tenth year of his vow, he, um, um, he then saw bin Laden, was heard bin Laden was killed, and he began to cry when he heard that. But then he worked to, to like smooth his, his face out, and uh, then his beard was gone. He said later, I, I, he said, I should have given up watermelon. That's <laughs> what he said. I think in some regards, this is Paul's spirit behind what his vow at Corinth, not anything technical, but in the spirit of the Nazarite vow, he said, I'm, I'm going to make this vow until something. And so why did Paul make this vow? Now, it's only a guess, but I think it has something to do with the promise to him of Acts chapter 18, 9 and 10. Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent. For I'm with you and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. And my, my guess is as he received this promise from God, he responded to God with a promise. He says, God, I, I will not cut my hair while I am in Corinth. It will be a sign to me and it will be a sign to you to remember this promise that you have given to me. And like Samson of old, who was a Nazarite, you can read about that in um, Judges chapter 13, uh, he was invincible until the days of his vow Ended until he left Corinth. In fact, even even we see him as soon as he left Corinth, he had said, said he cut it, had his hair cut at Sincrea. In fact, that's a port just south of Corinth. You can see it right there on our map. You see Corinth there, and just south, that's the port from which they would have left to go on to Ephesus. So right when he's just out of the city, right right then he had his hair cut right away. I think in many regards as a as a just an expression that his hair grows long while I'm here. As soon as I'm here that promise is done and I thank you God for your faithfulness. In fact that's my point. I think we should thank God and so that's kind of a roundabout way to try to find some application from this vow of cutting the hair. In fact I think that's the principle behind him cutting his hair. Simon Kistemacher a uh, a very faithful commentator says this, Paul made this vow to express his thanksgiving to God for protecting him in Corinth, and for blessing his work. Um, now, I know that there's lots of speculation, and Paul may not. That may be totally wrong, right? It's the best I could tell. But if it, even if it's totally wrong, still, right, we're called to thank God. Psalm 92, verse 1, it's a good thing to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name almost high, and we ought to give the thanks to God every day. First uh, Thessalonians five seventeen: give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. But it also may be appropriate from time to time to trust God with some great promise. And, and it might be appropriate for you even to say, I'm not going to cut my hair and until then. 
Um, and in the end, right, when you cut your hair, you, you fulfill that promise. Now, if you're going to make that promise, I, I just would caution you um, because you might be um, like Mr. Weddle. And you might have to have that look because the scripture says in um, Numbers 30, this is what the Lord has commanded. If a man vows a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by a pledge, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. Jesus said, let your yes be yes. Let your no be no. Like what you say, follow through on what you say. So don't just kind of back out. So I just say, be careful in making such a promise or a pledge. Paul, for all we know, only did this once in his life. And maybe his hair was so long it bothered him. He says, I'm not going through that again. No way. Um, But it was a matter of life and death. They were looking to harm him in Corinth. And he had a direct promise from God and so wanted this constant reminder. And at the end, right, celebrated in thanksgiving to God. And so as this admonition comes to to thank God, we, we can be thankful to God with or without a vow. Right? And aren't there many things to which to be thankful for? Just shout out some things to be thankful for. Mother's Day, how about we thankful for mothers? All of you had mothers. Right? Thankful for mothers. Right? What else are you thankful for? Just shout some out real quick. Lots of things we can be thankful for. Oh, you thankful people. What? Sunshine. Absolutely. First, first spring to finally come, right? That's something super thankful for. In fact, oftentimes you're more thankful for the things when you've been deprived for so long. Right, Avon? So she grew up in California and she never grew this thankfulness for summer that she has grown during her 30 years here in, uh, in Illinois. Other things, she shout them out what we're thankful for. Children, Children absolutely. What? Fathers. fathers. Good. Mothers, fathers, children. Friends, especially close friends. What are the other things? Uncles, absolutely. And aunts and grandmas and grandpas and great grandpas and all, absolutely. What else are we thankful for? Pizza, yeah, nice food, yeah, pizza and chocolate maybe, right? What else? Friends, good. Chocolate fountains with strawberries, especially thankful for all that, right? Grandchildren. Health. Cade, you thankful for health nowadays? Yeah, absolutely, right? Music, the arts, good books, absolutely. Trey, what do you got? Not having to wear masks anymore. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Right? Technology. Especially as we think about children going out. It is so helpful for us. Our children are out. We, we talk FaceTime with our kids often. And, and, and we can do that worldwide nowadays. Technology we thankful for. Thankful for our country. That we have clean air in our country. That we have good transportation. That we have water. That we, we have graduations. All, all these things we are thankful for and we can be thankful. But there, there might be some times when there are like special times in which to be thankful for. And, and sometimes you might just even want to like, like, like do that. Like I, I think about one of the things about fasting is that right, you, you hunger and thirst for righteousness. And when your hunger pangs there, it just says, I need to long for righteousness like I'm hungry. Or the baby bottles, right? When you put them 
on, uh, on your kitchen table or your dinner table, right? There it is, right? We're going to pray for it. We're going to remember that. Like, like you can do something like the physical. Remember, I think in, in this regard, no shave November is like perfect for this. We're not going to shave in November leading up to what? Thanksgiving. And that would be like maybe sort of a perfect application. So every time you feel your razor stubble, it just causes you, right? On Thanksgiving, I'm going to give many thanks to God because this is just sort of my little reminder. You, you, can, you can do that. And I think that's sort of what Paul's done. Well, there's my best application to try to pull out some application from this vow of cutting here. All right, so let's move on. Um, my next one is, is trust God. Trust God. And I say this because this is exactly what, what Paul did. And even if this isn't exactly what Paul did, it still is true. We need to trust God. Okay, verse 19. It says, And they came to Ephesus... And he left them there, that is, uh, and uh, Priscilla and Aquila. But he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. And when they asked him to stay for a longer period, he declined. But on taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you if God wills, and set sail from Ephesus. Now again, this is something I think a bit strange. Paul's pattern is to enter a town, enter the synagogue, preach to the Jews, and some receive this message and some kick him out of the synagogue. And then he's out of the synagogue and then he's there and some of the Gentiles rise up and then they kick him out of the city. And so then he leaves, eventually he's run out of town. But here in Ephesus, right, things begin as normal. He enters the synagogue with the Jews and I would suspect that he preached his old Jesus is, the Christ is Jesus sermon. <clears throat> How the scriptures foretold of the Messiah to come, how he would suffer and how he would die, and how the scriptures foretold of the Messiah, that he would raise from the dead and that he would conquer death. And this is exactly what Jesus did. He suffered and died in Jerusalem upon the cross. And he raised from the dead in Jerusalem. And he conquered death for us. And he appeared to us and we saw him raised from the dead. We simply need to believe in Jesus for forgiveness of sins. Right? That's the Gospels, Paul's top priority. What he preached, he says in, in 1 Corinthians 15, this is my first importance, what I delivered to you, that Christ died for our sins, according to Scriptures. He was buried, he was raised from the, from the dead for our sins, according to what the Scripture says. Paul's top priority, I'm, I'm sure that that's what he preached, and that's what we should be speaking to people as well. That's the hope of life is Jesus Christ, the Messiah, crucified, dead, buried, risen, ascended, and now exalted the right hand of God. Believe in Jesus and you'll be saved. For there's salvation in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Paul preached a sermon often. He was a traveling evangelist in all the, the cities in which he visited. I mean, one example is Thessalonica, Acts 17, verse 3. He explained and proved it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and rise from the dead, saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. And normally this would get him expelled from the synagogue and eventually the town, but it looks here in Ephesus like things are different. Rather than rejecting Paul, they were receiving him. They asked him to stay longer. In fact, even even if you look there, it says, um, verse 20, they asked him to stay for a longer period. God was opening a door for the gospel. And Paul didn't walk through that door. He refused. He said, verse 21, on taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you if God wills. And, and so again, from our map, he left Ephesus and he went on down to 
to uh, Caesarea and then eventually up to Syria where he came from. And just said, why? Why would Paul leave? When, when, when finally the door opens up, maybe it's just a pattern like, he, you know, he's used to just kind of coming in and preaching and then, and then you know, like covering up. You know, like covering, oh, oh here comes, here comes, okay, I gotta be going. And, and this time, right, he, he preached out there and he's covering up. He's like, what, what? Uh, he didn't know what to do and so he left anyway. I mean, you kind of get that idea maybe, but it, it, it may be that he was get, seeking to get back to Jerusalem so he could fulfill the spirit of the law with his hair. Maybe he's got this lock of hair. It's kind of strange to think about. Like, oh, I've, no, I've got my hair that I need to burn on this fire in Jerusalem. I can't stay here prioritizing burning his hair rather than preaching the gospel, which may be the case, actually. I would not doubt if, if that was so much was he wanted to keep his vow. He vowed to the Lord that when I'm done, I will, I will cut my hair, get back to Jerusalem, lay it on a fire in thanks to you. Now, that may be the case. Maybe Paul just felt his journey was complete. He needed to get back at home. And you think about how long he's been gone. He's been gone at least 18 months in Corinth, and some months getting there, lots of other activity going on. I mean, he, two years, three years, maybe he was gone on this journey. It's a little bit different than today, as we receive multitude of missionary letters describing all the work that people are doing and, and getting back and getting touched. This is what we're doing. Like, they, they heard very little. Maybe nothing from Paul. Like, Paul has been gone, and where are you, Paul? And maybe he felt like this two or three years, he just got to get back rather than getting sucked into this ministry at Ephesus because his home church was a priority. Maybe that was his tug. The home church was priority rather than an open door of evangelism. I'm, I'm not exactly sure. Um, but here was the Lord opening a door that once was shut. In fact, do you remember earlier in Paul's journey, I, I talked to you about it before, that when he was in... Phrygia, he tried to go south into Asia, and the Holy Spirit forbade him to go there. But now, the second time around, the, the Holy Spirit just opens the door to Asia, opens the door there in Ephesus. He had his opportunity, and he left. And yet, he was hoping to return. He said in verse 21, and I will return to you if God wills. So whatever compelled him to sail off to Caesarea, we don't know, but we do know that he was trusting in the Lord's guidance, future guidance for his future life and ministry in Ephesus. I will return to you if God wills. Um, and indeed, we see Paul returning to Ephesus because God willed. God willed that he would return and preach the gospel in Ephesus. In fact, as we trace through the book of Acts on his third missionary journey, he's going to get to Ephesus. He spent 18 months in Corinth. He's going to spend three years in Ephesus in his second missionary journey. We're going to pick that up in chapter 19 when we get there. Um, it's just that his first time in Ephesus was not the time to settle. That time would come later in the will of God. But Paul, I think, was showing his trust in God as he was, was just waiting. And, and I think for all of us, we need to trust God as well. And particularly here, maybe even trust God in our evangelism. I mean, you think about in Corinth... God said, I have many in this city who are my people. Do you think that was true in Ephesus? Absolutely it was. Because a church sprouted up. He had many in Ephesus who were his people. And Paul had to get there. But just the timing wasn't quite right. And as we think about sharing the gospel with others in our relational spheres, I have tried to just push for you over and over, week in, week out, about the access to be my witnesses. There certainly needs to be an urgency in us. 
a heartfelt prayer to witness, to be a witness for Jesus in our relation to the world. But we don't need to fret if an opportunity doesn't come today or if it doesn't come tomorrow or next week because in God's sovereignty, if God wills, that opportunity will come to open up for the gospel. When Paul first tried to go to Ephesus, the door was shut. When Paul was in Ephesus the second time, the timing wasn't right. And the timing was right later, and God bore much fruit in the same way with people you're speaking to about Jesus. You may face a closed door the first time. The second door, like timing might not be right. You're, you're in a situation where it really just doesn't, you shouldn't, wouldn't be right to talk about the Lord at that point. Be like, it wouldn't work. But maybe in the Lord's timing, the third time might be right. But just know this, the Lord's timing is always right. Whether it's the third time or the fourth time or the fifth time that bring the gospel to someone. Trust God with opportunities to speak. Now, that requires us to live in constant prayer to the Lord, seeking God's guidance step by step, walking in God's way, trusting in Him, praying constantly that God would would, uh, send out laborers into the harvest and that you might be that laborer in the harvest, seeking God's timing. And beyond evangelism, that's certainly true of our life. We need to, to live our lives dependent upon the will of God. If God wills, we will do this. And, and the words of James like are shouting in my mind. James 4, verse 13 through 15. Come now you who say today or tomorrow we'll go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a short time and then vanishes. Instead you ought to say, if the Lord lives, we will, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. If the Lord wills, we will do this. Right? We make our plan and God what? He directs our steps. And that's how we need to live and trust in God, right? Making our plan and just trusting God for our steps. That's what Paul was doing in Ephesus. For some reason, he's being called away to Syria, called away back home. He, he's making his plan. He's going to trust the Lord. He's going to direct his steps. And so just trust God, the direction of your life. Whether it's going off to college, whether coming home from college, whether it's new career, whether it's <clears throat> move, whether it's whatever, different decisions in life. Just trust the Lord with those things. All right, here's my third point. <clears throat> Not only thank God and trust God, but also tell of God. I get this from verses 22 and 23 that <clears throat> though these verses, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm mainly talking about the logistics of Paul and his travel. I have no doubt the purpose of his travel was to give a report to the churches about all that God had done through him. So you look at verse 22. On the one hand, it's just logistical, right? It's just a travel itinerary. When he landed at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church and then went down to Antioch. And I think what this is talking about is he's, he's coming down to two cities. Right? He's, he landed in Caesarea. And then it says he went up to this other place, and then he went down to Antioch. So even though two cities are mentioned by name, really there's a third city mentioned. And when you go up, you always go up to Jerusalem. That's Psalm 120 through 134. These are the songs of ascents, when when the pilgrims would ascend to Jerusalem to worship the Lord. And when you always go up to Jerusalem in the hills, and then he came down. So it's not mentioned there. In verse 22, but surely it meant there. And then again on our map, right, you see Paul coming into Caesarea, going up to Jerusalem, and then going down to Antioch. That's just how you do it. And what do you suppose Paul was doing when he was in each of these cities? 
It says explicitly there when he went up, he greeted the church. That is, he talked to the church in Jerusalem. And do you remember what God, what, what, what he was telling of God during his, after his first missionary journey? After his first missionary journey, um, he first went to Antioch. Acts fourteen twenty seven, And when they arrived and gathered the church together, here it is, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. He was telling all that God had done with them after the first missionary journey. That's what he said to Antioch. And when he went to Jerusalem, he came to Jerusalem, Acts 15, verse 4, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. And I'm sure that on this journey, much was the same. When he went up to Jerusalem, went down to Antioch, he wasn't there and just didn't greet the church and said, hi guys, bye guys. No, he was there. And I'm sure after two years of travel, they're going to say, well, what'd you do? What happened? And would be able there to tell all the things that happened. And can you imagine the story? I mean, I've seen people come back from missionary trips and they're gone for a week and then they come back and they're just story, story, story. They want to tell all that what happened. Can you imagine when after two years? And just imagine the stories. Paul could have told about, oh yeah, we went to these towns in southern Galatia, in Derby, and in, uh, in Lystra, in Iconium, in Antioch. And we found the churches strong and healthy. And those who came to Christ were continuing and pressing on. Oh, certainly the churches had problems, but in general they're doing well. And the elders that we appointed there are doing well. And we're so rejoicing. He could have told some particular stories that the Bible doesn't even tell about. But he could have told all about that. And then they could have told about how, how confused they were. Right? They didn't know where to go next. And then they received this dream from this man in Macedonia. He said, come and minister to us. So they said, God was moving in our hearts and our minds. We went to Macedonia and we found some fruitful ministry there. We went to Philippi. And we're actually thrown in prison, but God was doing wonderful things there in the heart of Lydia. In the heart of this slave girl, transforming her. In the heart of this jailer. Well, we were in jail and this man asked, what must I do to be saved? And then continuing on to there, right? He went to Thessalonica. I could have told all the stories about what happened in Thessalonica. How many people believed, and even Jason was part of that. And then this mob rose up and then kicked us out. We went to Berea, and we found people in Berea super receptive. They, they, they examined the scriptures daily to see what was happening. And then as we continued on, we went down into Achaia, and, and I was asked to preach to the Areopagus. I was asked to preach the intellectuals and I preached Jesus and the resurrection to them and they kicked me out. But some believed. Damaris believed. And uh, Dionysius from the Areopagus, the scholar believed. And, and, then, and then we went to, uh, to Corinth. We spent 18 months there and there's some precious people in Corinth. And could have gone on to tell all this about the, the fruitful ministry that took place in Corinth. And he would have told all that God did with them, both in Jerusalem, and then when he comes back to, uh, to Antioch, he tells that story. And then in verse 23, we see the, the turnaround. He'd come home, regrouped, told the stories, and then he headed out. After spending some time there, he departed and went from one place to the next, to the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening the disciples' And there he is. He's been there before. 
He was there on the first missionary journey. Remember when he went out and he kind of retraced his steps back and he went here on the second missionary journey right on through. He's going on a third missionary journey through. And, and, and what's he doing? He is strengthening all the disciples. This is often missionary work. It is not always like frontier work, but often missionary work is going and strengthening the disciples in the churches. In fact, that's what he did in chapter 16 and verse 5, when he initially went back to this region of southern Galatia, we see the, the churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in numbers daily. As Paul went just encouraging them and edifying them in the word of God and, and encouraging them to press on in their faith. So what was Paul doing when he was there? He was telling of God. He was just speaking of God. He was just speaking of God's word. He was strengthening the church. And, and this is this is what Acts calls us to do. Jesus says to be my witnesses. Simply to tell other people about God. Whatever you can tell people about God. You know, it has been interesting in this in this day. Um, I was talking to my dad a couple days ago, and uh, we we're talking about the war in Ukraine. And he's asking my perspective about things there. And I said, you know, Dad, I, I've had lots of opportunities to talk about the just the broadest scale of the, the war in Ukraine and just how it demonstrates the wickedness of man, the, the fallenness of our earth, that people can do this. And he even told him one conversation I had where someone was just flabbergasted. Just, just, he said, just think in the 21st century that this is happening. And I said, it shows that we're not as refined as we thought we were. It's shown that still our world is fallen and crushed and needs redemption, needs saving. And that's why Jesus came to save the world, to reform it, right? The, the, the creation longs and, and groans eagerly. Jesus come back, and when he comes back, he will right all the wrongs. And I just told my dad about how I've used, had opportunities there to just tell of God, right? God created this world, but, but man has ruined it. They destroyed it in this war and atrocities and terrible things taking place. But it just shows us how broken up we are. We're not super refined as we used to think that we would be. Yes, in the 21st century, we can have these things happen. This is our modern World War II, if you will. Just seeing these, what, 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 just, just images to us now, they're like real realities of what's taking place in this world. And so, right, just telling of God, right, using opportunities. And I've had many opportunities just to speak and transition from this war, just a big perspective. You know, hopefully that someone will say, yes, the world is broken, I'm broken, I need a savior is what my, my hope is as I've spoken with people. Well, here we see Paul, right, he's coming home. But he's heading out again, and as we continue our trek through the, uh, the book of Acts, we're going to see what Paul does in his third missionary journey as he heads out. And we're going to see much the same, just strengthening churches, evangelizing, seeing people uh, prosper. And um, his third missionary journey goes out, and then kind of when he comes back, he's going to be sent to Rome to die. And uh, that's what Acts is leading us to. So let's pray. Father, just uh, I, I pray that as we think about Paul coming back home with these stories, regrouping and, and heading out again. I, I pray that just even for the college students coming home, that they might come home and, and gather with their families and enjoy their times. But as they regroup and then they, they go out and they head out again, I, I pray for their prosperity in Christ Jesus. God, be gracious to them. May they be trusting in Christ uh, in the midst of the world. May they may 
be making a difference in the lives of those around them. And for us as well, I pray for these applications that they would be, be true of us, O Lord, that we indeed, O God, would, um, would thank you, God, because you've been gracious to us, whether it's making a pledge or not. God, we are, are thankful. God, I pray also for us that we would trust in you just with our, our daily walk and with our, our walk over long periods of time, where we're going to go, what we're going to do. May we trust that you will guide us in these things. And we do trust in our evangelism, God, that you would open hearts, you would open minds. God, here even in uh, the 21st century, here in America, where things are going well, where the war, we don't even think about the war, it's so far removed from our life. Pray that people be thinking about that in their own brokenness, their own need for a Savior. And uh, fathers would pray that we'd be telling of God that as Jesus told us to be my witnesses, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, which is the thrust of Acts, that we would be those who would be your witnesses, proclaiming the glory of Jesus to a lost and dying world. So I pray your mercy on us. Help us to apply these things um, for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.